And Tracy, I missed you. Aw. That's nice. <laughs> everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I am James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, one of your other hosts. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time, or at least, well, no, because Tracy will stop dancing before the end of this podcast, I imagine. Um, That's, I don't know. <laughs> but that also lets the cat out of the bag. We've got a guest again. It's me. Tracy, how are you? I'm good. I'm dancing, which is always a good sign mm-hmm. for me. Absolutely. If you're wondering. Oh, when is it a bad sign from someone else? <laughs> Do you hear about that dancing disease of the yeah, people the that dance themselves fever. to death? Yeah, that would the be what? bad. Like people couldn't stop. It was like a neurological disorder where they, I mean, they weren't dancing, but like they was were that, dancing. Was that real? I thought that was fake. No, well, it's real. I mean, like, like there was died. a Buffy musical episode that was like about that, but like people actually, it actually happened and people actually died. Oh, I thought that was, I thought that was like a yeah. myth. Yeah. Didn't think that was real. Wow. I clearly know yeah. nothing of this world. Colin's hot myth take that that was a myth. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> Speaking of myth takes, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about myth takes. So, <laughs> podcast here on the Scavengers Network. No. Tracy. You know, I have a friend that has a, a myth take that I'd like to share with you. And his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, Tracy, welcome back. It's Hello. been a couple of days since we last saw you. Well, mm-hmm. in the podcast. In real life, it's been yeah. a little over a week. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because we're recording on September 13th, 2021. That's very true. I don't know why I said it like that. Yes, that is, in fact, the day <laughs> yeah. uh, on the calendar. Yeah, James. Uh, that sounds now, more suspicious. Like, yes, that is the day on this earth. Like we're lying to you about when we're recording. On this earth that we all definitely live on. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so, Tracy, say. I would love for you to just give a shout out to some sort of project or thing that you're working on or whatever you want to plug. Some sort of podcast that's going to start recording and like... Uh, right. Like a month or something. I hear I you. Know. I hear everything you're saying. And I'm going to say that I'm looking for jobs. <laughs> if you have a job, <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> this is my voice resume. Um, no, so we are working on scheduling. Ooh, exciting for the next season, season three of Wet Hot American Moon Juice, which is yeah. a NaNoWriMo podcast. And for those of you who don't know, in November, it's a National Novel Writing Month in which brave writers take on the challenge to write a 50,000-word novel or whatever, just as long as it's 50,000 words in the month of November. And that's what we do in November. But then we also give ourselves the added challenge of discussing it on a podcast through the whole month, before and after. Yeah. So it's really a two-month project. Mm-hmm. So start looking out yeah. for that. Towards the end of October on the Scavengers Network. Oh, Creator okay. driven. 
Yeah. Collaboratively focused, There's... space-minded. We People... were close. We got the first one. Podcasts and streaming. Treasured people. For treasured people. Making stuff. People. Singing <laughs> okay. songs. Collins and pain. All right. So we are doing, uh, let's see, uh, season seven, episode one. Um, yeah. All right. So it's season seven. Steven. Steven. No. Season seven, episode one, as we have been forever. Um <laughs> And you're going to start this, for this episode, you're going to start at 10 minutes and 40 seconds, and it's going to run through 11 minutes and 21 seconds, and I have a confession. Mm. When I was splitting up scenes, uh, I could have left that fashion getting dressed montage at the end of last episode, but I was like, nope, that's getting its own episode. So here it is. And then I quickly snatched it up, and I was like, that one's for James, just because I like a fashion montage. Who doesn't um, love a good old-fashioned montage? Exactly. Montage. Tracy, do I you? love a fashion montage. Great, great, great. Um, okay, so the synopsis of this is the team suits up and then steps into 1931 New York and look upon the Prohibition era in awe. Um, so we ended the last scene by uh, Max saying, let's suit up. And so this scene starts with clothing being piled uh neatly on a table and then being taken by various people um and then they come out of a um you know in the 1930s and in cartoons where you just step out of a fence like there's a slat in the fence and you just sort of step through yeah they kind of like it's kind of like a i don't know there's like a construction thing that they step through anyways Mm -hmm. um here's what they're wearing i wrote mac nice suit and hat colson nice suit with trench coat and also he has a hat. Uh, Deke looks like a newsboy. Mm-hmm. And Daisy has a maroon jacket and a dark hat that goes on the back of her head like a beret, kind of. And that is my fashion description of, uh, of what, they, of what they're wearing. Now, real quick, I would like to point out that it's very funny to me that Colson is wearing a hat. Because you'll find this out ages from now. Small spoiler. But it should be discussed here. In the middle of season one... He has a scene. Nope. Season one, season two. Uh, The whole point, though, is that there's a scene in which Bobby Morse is walking around a Latin American city with Coulson, and he stops by a little storefront of, like, you know, people peddling their wares, and he picks up a hat, and he puts it on, and he's like, I really wish I could pull off a hat. I feel like I could be a a hat guy. And then, like, kind of shows her, like, yeah, right? doesn't really work for me and then he puts it back and then he's wearing basically the same type of hat it's just like a different color right but this is the third this is the 30s if you he's weren't also wearing an a hat yeah then that's true but not wearing a hat was basically like not wearing shoes like you can that's do it interesting but okay. don't don't do it though so that Have was like hat. the it's colonial way though yeah that is no that's an excellent excellent mm-hmm. connection um but yeah, this is definitely a fitting in culturally sort of deal. That's okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm watching Homeland and when they go to areas where you need to cover your hair, Claire Danes covers her hair and it's not that religiously based, but it is very, very frowned upon to not have a hat in, now, the, in this era. Tracy, quick question for you. Here's my first question. 
Uh, last mm. episode, we talked about if you were to go out and buy clothes for the three of us to have to go out into 1931, you didn't give either of us a hat. Was this to purposefully throw us under the bus? Well, Colin, I didn't give you underpants or socks or <laughs> shoes either. So. <laughs> okay. I assume that we go brought ahead. those. The hats implied. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, like, okay. if the hat was needed, then you would have a hat. Okay. See, I, okay. I knew all that historical context, and I took that into the planning of the wardrobe. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Uh, I actually do have I have a guestion right now. I have two guestions right now. Oh so this is the segment where we do the guestions. Um, so I guess guestion number two is, uh, Tracy, whose outfit do you like most and why? Daisy. Because yes. she's my favorite. <laughs> and uh-huh. I just find her outfit more interesting than the suits that they're wearing um and yep. the notes i made when i watched this clip the only two things i wrote were suit up and daisy's so cute so that's yep. all i had so i definitely have that's to go correct. with daisy but and that's like one of my favorite colors is the color that yeah. she's wearing and i think she looks really great in it and i love how her hair is yeah. done too i agree i agree with all mm-hmm. of that i think i think it looks really i think it's that thing where like kind of like a groomsman bridesmaid thing where it's like the groomsman you want to basically be completely identical and non right standout e yeah um so you kind of don't want to draw attention to yourself as a man in this era you would dress in a suit that was not loud or or anything right and you'd wear a hat as a woman you wouldn't want to dress in a suit but you would want to dress in like kind of, uh, yeah. The guy agree. The colors are are super mm-hmm. great in this uh, in this yeah. outfit she's wearing. Um, it's very and now an editorial. Stunning. What? Sorry, Colin? I was just gonna say it's what like it's very vibrant compared to the others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, Deke looks like he's trying to be Indiana Jones, but he watched the wrong movie. Um, <laughs> he watched. Like he has a leather jacket. Well. Yeah, he, he's like I like two. I've seen two movies. And I think I'm going to get... Because he bought these clothes. Right. So he's the only one that has had a decision about right. what he's wearing. He did a good um, job, though. That but anyway. I'm saying, yeah. yeah, he did a good job, that said. I will admit. No, I, I don't... <laughs> here's the thing. I don't love the pants. Uh, they, they just look too baggy on him. But... Mm-hmm. And that's not like a character thing. I think that's just, you know... No, no that's statement. fair. Uh, but I do genuinely like his jacket. It's like... It's kind yeah. of a leather jacket, but not yeah. quite... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so that is pretty sharp. I do actually like that bag, um, and I will say, as far as suits go, that when people go time traveling, both Mac and Coulson look sharp. I do dig Coulson's look. I feel like if I was in nineteen, like if I was born and lived in the nineteen thirties, I feel like that is right. very much how I would like the dark blue suit with like mm-hmm. the tan overcoat kind of thing, trench coat. Yeah, oh, that's a good look. Well, it's funny because it's it's very um, hitting all of the 1930s like film stereotypes almost. Like, like private you eye have like look. private eyes sort of deal with Coulson. You have sort of a femme fatale or like mm. you know female lead in in Daisy. You have like the kid street urchin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then maybe like almost like the mob boss or whatever in Mac. Like because he's not wearing an overcoat, but he is wearing like he has his he has. I think it's tomorrow. Or later, I have a note that says his hat is at a jaunty angle, because like he has it like, like really down over his he face in the, a really cool. He has the most. Uh, I'm a cop in the 30s. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, 
I think my favorite, uh, I mean, I think Daisy is the obvious answer. My number two is Mac. I think yeah. he looks yeah, he does sharp look as sharp. hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my second question, my second question, excuse me, I misspoke, is um, more of a kind of a editing director's question. Do you think this scene would have been improved if there had been more of a dressing room module suit up montage? Like they have to, they're trying, you know, Deke has gotten them selections of clothes and they can try them all on and like all be sitting there like, mm, you know, like in a, like in a rom-com. Oh my gosh. So now that you've said it, I would love <laughs> that sort of like deleted scene outtake thing. I do yeah. think with the vibe of the urgency and the faceless yeah. people, it wouldn't fit, sure. but I, I have to imagine that that was at least on like the cutting room floor where they were like, okay, this is an idea. We really, really love it. Everyone would love to see it, but it doesn't fit. But that would be really cool. In that that leather and Newsies jacket thing. But it's like too small on him and he's like, ah, no. (laughs) Yeah. And in this fashion montage, of course, it would would need to be that uh, Mr. Fantastic fabric, which, you know, shrinks and stretches too. (laughs) I I would... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I... It would make sense because I think Deke would have had to buy, you know, if he had all the money, he would True. have just bought a bunch of stuff. And actually, it would be a scene where Deke is trying on a bunch of different outfits to try to see what works best. And then Daisy is getting impatient with him. <laughs> like, just wear this and drags him out the door. Yeah. I also really like the mental image of Colson. I'm not sure what the outfit would be. But he would put something on being like, oh, I look cool. And he would walk out like, right? And Daisy would be like, absolutely not. Because like, kind of like that thing of like, I'm the quote, cool dad. right? And the teenager that's like, you're absolutely not go back in and change. You know, like I would love that sort of moment because that's very much their dynamic anyway. He comes out like a full footballer's uniform with like a leather (laughs) cap. And like Daisy's like. No, what? Where did no. Deke even get this? <laughs> I had this in my special yeah, collection. Like, no, I just had it. <laughs> Mac just grabs the first thing he touches, tries it on. He's like, "This is good," and of course, he yeah. looks perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, the other two things I focused on in my research for this episode are the posters that we see as they come out from Ooh. their hiding place. Yes. One is a very familiar Dracula poster. Um, it is, in fact, um, in factula, uh, the Style A one sheet. Um, it was the most expensive film poster in the world as of 2017. So if you have a copy of one of these, um, can I borrow it for a sec? <laughs> um, I just need to take it um, to the someplace real quick. Storefront. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that, that one... The, on the left side, as you look at them, there's a Dracula poster. And this is very cool because Dracula came out in 1931. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this is one of our um, uh, signposts for when this uh, episode takes place. Um, these two episodes, actually. This is going to be a why that year that spans about uh, two months. Um, because this is the first one, but we can't get to sort of the other end of it until we meet a character we haven't met any time we've recorded colin um we have to look at her passport passport so um dracula came out on in new york city on february 12th 1931 and domestically worldwide or domestically around the country on february 14th 1931 so since they are in new york city now uh, i guess this is something that wasn't covered in the mcu wiki it could be a promotional poster so it could theoretically be in January. 
Mm-hmm. Right. However, because they don't, you don't put up a poster the day the thing comes out. That's just, <laughs> hey kids, that's bad marketing. Guess what's um, here right now? <laughs> available now. Actually, yeah, it's like a Beyonce, but of 1931. Dracula drops immediately. Um, <laughs> so, but this is basically, MC Wiki has concluded this takes place on February 13th. Uh, 1931 because it is the it's basically as early as you can get without like man this poster thing being the being the thing really has thrown me the logic that they used is that it came out on the 12th so the earliest can be is the 13th um and we'll see the end date the end point of this how late it can be um in a little bit but there's also i mean like I'm very excited to get to it because there's a whole bunch of like, well, this happened at this point and this happened at that point. And this, it's very long and drawn out, but we haven't met some characters yet. So sure. um, Dracula is uh, it's an American pre-code supernatural horror film directed and co-produced by Todd Browning. It's weird that in 1931 there was someone named Todd Browning, but um, from a screenplay written by Garrett Fort. Uh, it is based on the 1924 stage play uh, Dracula by Hamilton Dean and John L. Balderston, which in turn is adapted from the 1897 Dracula novel Dracula by Bram Stoker. Um, it stars Bela Lugosi as Count Dracula. You know, it's it's Dracula. Right. It, you know, uh, vampire who emigrates from Transylvania, etc. Drinks blood, steals people's wives. Mister, steal your wife, sucker blood. Original. Um, the, the, yeah, original. the OG yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it? You and the the guy she told you not to worry about yes. because he's a foreign <laughs> talent guy, and yeah. he is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> he doesn't even go out. At, uh, he doesn't even go out during the daytime. Um, so it's produced and distributed by Universal Pictures. This is the first sound film ap- adaptation of the Stoker novel. Um, you know, Nosferatu. I guess there were other. I guess Nosferatu wasn't a Dracula, but they had done silent movie uh, versions of Dracula. But in 2000, the film was selected by the United States Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry as, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, so that's something that is pinned up to the left side of the thing that they emerge from behind. On the right side is something far less known that I almost didn't um, look at because I wasn't you know, looking at the posters and then I saw Dracula on one side and found that that was 1931. So I had to look on the other side. It's a much more faded poster for The Phantom of the West, which is a 1931 American pre-code mascot Western movie serial. So mascot is the company. It's a Western serial. So hmm. this would have been, I think, something that you would have watched before a movie. Now, mm. probably wouldn't be before Dracula, right. but you would have watched it it's basically like, you know, the TV shows before TV was TV. So you'd go to the movies and be like, oh, cool. Newest installment of Phantom of the West is, is going to be at the beginning of this. So it's like the Pixar short. Exactly. But it, what, what if the Pixar short was eight parts? Mm. And right. you had to watch it, every you, movie yeah. that came out for a full year in order to watch the full The fact story. that Marvel hasn't done this is actually Seriously. baffling. Like, oh, there's not a trailer. There's a part seven of the eight part. Here's the thing, though. Silver Surfer serial. Pretty soon, like... in a couple of years, there's going to be literally six movies in one year. So they could yeah. do it. They could, yeah. Because, yeah. All right. So uh, Phantom of the West is, um, it was the second all-talking serial that Mascot produced. Tom Tyler stars as Jim Lester, trying to prove that Francisco Cortez, played by, played by Frank Lanning, who definitely sounds 
like the race uh, casting was good on that one, is innocent of killing Lester's father years before. The real villain is the mysterious Phantom and his League of the Lawless. Hmm. Um, and that's the whole plot of the serial. Again, this would have been probably like a TV show length thing over eight chapters. So, sure. Um, and let's see. So those are the two posters we see. Uh, then they then we sort of the scene ends with sort of a I don't know like a a full page uh, thing of a comic book of like New York City spreading out before them. It's sun it's sunrise and whatever. And if you look over on the right, there's a cut rate drug, which is the drugstore. Um, was it drug? Yeah, it is the drugstore where they're going. All of the crime scene and everything has taken place at this. So I wrote, um, hilarious that the cut rate drugstore is right there. Is there another one somewhere close by? I mean, there has to be because it's like they're they they are you know they parked at one Starbucks and are walking to the other one. <laughs> like that has to. Be, I mean, like it's it's so it's so funny to me that they don't need like they could have made it anything, but they were like, eh, let's recycle that sign or whatever. Look. They only had so many signs and so much time. <laughs> exactly. Know? Cut rate production, more like. <laughs> eh. uh, producers, we'd like you to have, have you on uh, at any time if you want to. You can tell us why you made such Clark a bad decision. Clark Greg, I'm looking for a new co-host. Uh, so Clark Greg, if you would like to come be my co-host, Clark Greg, I am free on Thursday, Clark Greg. Colin's good. You're free on Thursday? I thought you had class. So then the final note that I took, and then we can talk about general thoughts or whatever, is there's like a lot of cars, like a lot of cars in as this ends. So I, I was I asked myself the question to uh, look up later, <laughs> later in that hour that I was doing the research. Um, how many cars in New York City in 1931? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I didn't find a clear answer on this, but it says that there were 1,867 in 1930. And I said, and surely less of the population than elsewhere in the country would drive cars. Um, but they were all on that one street that day. Right. So, like, I guess I was saying that there were plenty more than 1,800 people in New York. But I think it was still at the time when having a car was like having a... Tesla. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Listen, they didn't have a lot of signs, but they had a boatload of cars left over from another you know set that they had just done some filming and they're like take them you know what have as many cars as you want i read this i think it was a new york article about maybe it was a podcast it was probably both about this guy who <laughs> he just has a huge collection of cars that are literally just used in movies my gosh like steven spielberg needs six 1950s authentic you know, whatever suburban cars and they go to this guy and he's like, yep, just have, you know, have them back by whatever. And that's what they do. That's yeah. gotta he be just has a whole like lot of such a good money making operation. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's just supply yeah, and demand. Sure. Like, hi, yes, I'm yeah, the only it. person who has a specific card that you want. That'll be four million dollars. Thank you. He might drive them. Too. Oh my god! I think that unless like someone has to be seen driving the car for whatever reason, I think that I also I also read that he was the one that like is the one that drives the car, probably for like insurance or like you know like in the movies. Drive. You mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the name of Colson's car? Lola. Lola. 
Lola, right. In sort of a don't drive Lola sort of situation, yeah. he drives his cars. Um, Fascinating. So that is all I have, except for the music of 1931. What did This is a pretty quick scene. Do we have any other thoughts or feelings about it? Not really. I enjoyed it. I like yeah. I like the uh, seeing them at different eras and wearing things other than their shield outfits is always fun. Yeah, I like that too. It's a very, like, I also like the sort of um, walking into the past sort of thing that they do. Like, sort of like a, I always think of uh, Marty McFly walking into the town of 1955. Like, he's in the wilderness and, like, he walks in and it's like, He's not immediately immersed in the thing. He's like, I have approached this. And, yeah. you know, Mr. Sandman is now playing over the you know radio and stuff like that. Yeah. So like they're walking into civilization sort of deal. And I like that yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Agree. Actually, that, that may be one of the things that really leads me to time travel stuff a lot is the like, because like I think about 1122.63 has that also, where it's like there's an entrance into the thing after you're there. I like that. Anyways. Very cool. Cool. Well, I'm going to get into the music of 1931, if you all don't mind. That sounds perfect to me. This music of 1931 is by um, Isham or Isham Jones. Embarrassingly, I didn't look up the pronunciation, but uh, really it's about the song, which is Stardust. Um, he was uh, he led one of the most popular dance bands of the 20s and 30s. He, uh, I said... He was basically my age when he recorded this song and boosted it to the level of standard. So that's just a little dig from past me to present me um, <laughs> about my accomplishments. So that's that's cool to have forgotten I wrote in my notes. Um, so Stardust is a jazz song composed by American singer, songwriter, and musician Hoagy Carmichael. It is now considered a standard and part of the Great American Songbook, which I guess is sort of like if you're a standard, but you're like really a standard, you're part of the Great American Songbook. Um, the song has been recorded over 1,500 times, either as an instrumental or vocal track featuring different performers. It says, in 1927, after leaving a local university hangout, Carmichael started to whistle a tune that he later developed further. When composing the song, he was inspired by the end of one of his love affairs, and on the suggestion of a university classmate, he decided on its title. The same year, Carmichael recorded an instrumental version of the song for Gennett Records, In 1928, he left Indiana after Mills Music hired him as a composer. Mills Music then assigned Mitchell Parrish to add words to the song. Don Redmond um, recorded the song that same year, and by 1929, it was performed regularly at the Cotton Club, which we talked about when Tracy was here when we talked about uh, Cab Calloway. I think that was the last episode we recorded. I think that was the the one you previously on. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Cotton Club. Um, Isham Jones's re- 1930 rendition of the song made it popular on radio, and soon multiple acts had re- recorded Stardust. Because of the song's popularity, by 1936, RCA Victor pressed a double-sided version that featured Tommy Dorsey and Benny Goodman on respective sides. So that was your first split uh, single. Nice. Probably not the first, but like, it's like if you know yeah. Blink and Green Day did the same song, a cover of the same song on each side of the vinyl, which is kind of cool. Um, And everyone knows that uh, Tommy Dorsey is the Blink-182 of uh, Big Band Music. Who's the Green Day of? Benny Goodman. Okay. Duh, Colin. Interesting. Okay. Uh, By 1940, the song was considered a standard. That year, RCA Victor released two more recordings of Stardust, one one by Dorsey featuring Frank Sinatra as the singer, and one by Artie Shaw. RCA Victor was like, yo... Yo, this 
Stardust, it is going to make us some money. We're gonna like they released they released four versions of this song by like big people, including like you know Frank Sinatra, who yeah. sang for in Tommy Dorsey's orchestra um, at at the time. Uh, it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1995 and, and and added to the National Recording Registry in 2004. Um, my last note is that the single was released in August 1930, but it's still counted as a 1931 hit, which is pretty wild. And that's it. That's Isham Jones with Stardust and also just a bunch of other people with Stardust. And that's the music of 1931. Nice. And 28, 29, and up through 1940. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tracy. Colin. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Yes. Uh, the First thing would be, where could people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Adeals Warlock. Perfect. And then my second question is, could you just give us your best 30-second elevator pitch for the Scavengers Network Patreon? Oh, yes. The Scavengers Network Patreon is this cool little thing where you uh, put $2 in and you get more content than you can ever consume out of it and it's very fun and you get all kinds of bonus content i don't know if this show has done it but i know some other shows have and this one probably definitely will or has in the future or past the present maybe it's right now maybe Time you're making weird. it did you Time make the, weird. did you make it that's cool but anyway you can join <laughs> it for two dollars or more maybe a million a month if you wanted I'm just saying you could. One thing I love about Tracy is that she always, she, she never goes with like $2. She's like $2, but you can also do more. So, <laughs> you can do so yeah. much. Like <laughs> if you got it, flaunt it towards us. Exactly. We love a million it. dollars would give Tracy a job. So yeah. Uh, Counting and, that money. And I mean, pretty much most of us, <laughs> if you donated a million dollars a month, most of us would have a job full-time here at the scavengers network yeah. so please take Tracy's, i mean if you were doing that every month for one year i think we'd be yeah. we'd be good yeah yeah for a while we changed the name of the network to your name yeah perfect well hmm. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk um but if you want to find right, me with a manifest oh. the bill gates network <laughs> he's a listener just kidding i don't um, want that bill gates we know you listen to the podcast so you yeah know, feel free to drop into that patreon.com slash the scavengers network uh if you want to find me you can find me on twitter at colin m parker you can also find this show at timeline scav and the scavengers network at scavengers net um real fast i do also want to shout out nick bermald who writes the music for the intro and outro of this show you can find him at n bermald b-r-a-m-a-l-d or Nick Bermald Composer uk, uh, and James, what about you? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at unabashed James. Perfect. Uh, I think people can give you all of their fashionista uh, tips and tricks from this episode to that Twitter. Hey, I mean, listen, fan art is sort of weird in a Marvel podcast, but. If you want to draw me a glimpse of that fashion montage with like Colson trying on Deke's thing, Mac trying on Daisy's thing, I don't know. Or Just like whatever. The three of us in those costumes. Also, yeah, Tracy previously has has costumed us, so there that's is true. a template for that. Yeah. There that's a very good point. 
Uh, and you can send that to all of our Twitters <laughs> and at Timeline Scav. Yep. But that's going to do it for us on this episode of Timeline Scavengers. Uh, as always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. And I'm Tracy Wheatley. I want to Excelsior! Your life was a little more spooky. Hi, everybody. My name is Jordan Reed. And I'm Lindsay Reed. And this is Spooky Spouses, a podcast about ghosts and stuff. Tall tales. If you ever want to find out if a psychic is real or not, commit a crime (laughs) and then go to them and ask about the crime. Cryptid technology. That's why we can't find Bigfoot, because they don't have trackers. They don't have these apps that are like, here I am, going to the ice cream store later. Scary stories. (laughs) You know what you're going to do? What? Crap your pants. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Numbers in general. I just hear or see numbers and my brain shuts off. You can find brand new episodes of Spooky Spouses every week, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Excuse me, part of the Scavengers Network. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.